All right, it's time to get your head right, get your game right. I have a, a very special guest, big left-handed hitting Brennan Bosch on the podcast today. I played with him when we were with the Tigers. He's played about six parts of uh, parts of six seasons in the big leagues, uh, still into baseball today. He's just starting to get back into a coaching some youth ball. But we're going to pick Brennan's brain. Me and Brennan, uh, kind of two, two different styles probably of playing, both very, very good at what we did. Uh, but we're definitely going to talk about hitting because that's our passion. Uh, Brennan, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, Dirksy. Happy to be here. Love talking to you, bud. So when we break this down, you know, when me and you came up through the system uh, with the Tigers together, you know, you're six – give them your dimensions. Like, not um, like brawl size, but like your dimensions as a, as a human being. I'm 6'5", uh, um, 220, 215, 220 right now. I played a little heavier, probably 230, but um, yeah. And you could you – so Brennan was one of those guys – he could throw hard. He could run fast. He was huge. He was strong. And he played well. He played well on the field. But he had to go about it a little different way than I did. Uh, you know, and, and I go back and forth on this, Brennan. I think to myself, like, you know, I, I had to overcome so much more than other people. The more I think about it, though, and the more I do these podcasts, the more I realize I was kind of like the underdog who there's zero pressure on. Like, right. nobody expects you to make it. So you just go out there and prove to them you're better than what they think, as opposed to the world expects everything from you, and you got to live up to that and produce to that. Yeah. No, I, you nailed it. I mean, I struggled with that my whole career, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, even when you're a kid, as soon as the prospect nonsense starts hitting you with tools and projections, it, it really – it really took some fun out of the game, to be honest with you, Dirksy. I mean, you know, you're expected to hit home runs. You're tall, you're big, you're this, you're that. But the game was uh, a lot simpler before projecting and, and all of that sort of ceiling and all these scouting terms that, you know, toolsy guys like me here when you're, I don't want to say scrappy like it's a bad thing, but when you are the underdog, I never really considered you that. But if you have a kind of a different build in baseball, you get put into this kind of scrappy, you know, gamer, all this stuff. And mm -hmm. big guys are all of a sudden not gamers. They're all of a sudden, you know, home run hitters or sort of star players. And to me, I felt scrappy inside. But yet my body and the way the, the baseball world looked at me, it was like, you better hit 30 and drive in 100 or you're useless, you know. And so – it was always tough for me to make make kind of find my personality, my identity as a baseball player because I was kind of thinking about what everyone else wanted me to do. To be honest with you, so it's tough. It's tough to be free uh, in baseball. I think as a whole, yeah, and that's something you know we've talked about before. The freedom to just go out and be the best that you can be doesn't really exist. <laughs> and, and, and when you're young, like you don't explore as much as you probably should as far as, you know, that, that personal freedom to go out and play the game you want, you want to play as opposed to the game other people want you to play. But we're impressionable when we're, when we're 20 years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're, you're, you're hitting it right on. I mean, you hit a couple of home runs at the right tournament when you're a kid, and the attention you get when you're young from the long ball is so, so crazy. You're looked at as like a freak. 
you know, and um, you fall in love, at least I did with that sort of attention. And, um, but it, it's so hard to hit home runs and it's so hard to, to kind of buy into that as your game when, when you are sort of a, for me, kind of, I did a lot of things well, but yet I never really considered myself a home run hitter. It was always hard for me to pull the ball. And, mm -hmm. you know, looking back, I wish I had more trust in my, in my overall game and put less pressure on myself to, to hit the ball of the park. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's it. There's no way. And this is what people don't understand, especially, you know, in today's game, the home runs popular, right? Mm -hmm. they, juice, they juice the balls up a little bit. Right. They juice these balls up uh, to where they fly a little bit further. Uh, you know, the home run's more uh, relevant than it was uh, post-steroid era. Now it's it's back to being relevant. Um, but like you just said, like the pressure to hit home runs, I felt it. And they everybody wants you to hit more home runs. Yes. That's just inevitable. Whether you're Brendan Bosch or Andy Dirks or Barry Bonds or whoever, right? Everybody right. wants you to hit more home runs just because – it's the quickest way to get freaking runs on the board. But, and I get that from management and people who haven't played in a long time or maybe ever played. But when you start thinking home run, and I, I, well, I watched you come up, you know, because we came up together. Yeah. When you were going good, like you were hitting a line drive off like the left field foul pole all the way to the right field foul pole. Yeah. Like that was just your game. Yeah. It was, you know, the big part of the field. And then if I got beat, I was strong enough to still do some stuff. But you start playing in, in different parks like Comerica where you square one up to center and now the balls are a little more juiced, so they go, you know. But totally but we were in Comerica Park and all of our like you, Miggy, Prince, like Prince came from Milwaukee and is like, uh, I just absolutely killed a ball to dead center and the center fielder just went back and camped on it. I know. And it's like, but you're still expected to produce like that. Yeah. So then it's kind of like your mind, people don't realize how your mind will process that information to failure. Totally. No, I mean, you're, the fact is, is, is that I can't even like describe the feeling it is to, to drive a ball with everything you got in, in, in a, a crucial moment and feel, yeah, that, that empty feeling in your stomach going back to the dugout, knowing you, you drove a ball to that, that triangle zone in Comerica. And, um, you know, for me, I always was jealous of pull hitters because if there was that guy that could get the ball in the air 30 times down the right field line, he didn't have to be so strong. He just, it was a technique kind of like a Granderson or mm -hmm. Johnny Damon that, you know, you start playing with these guys and you go, man, I'd much rather just be able to hook a ball and hit it 320 feet. Whereas my stroke felt more natural to go the other way. Tigers coaches, they no disrespect, but Gene Lamont used to tell me, you know, you're not going to get paid doing that because it's hard to hit 30, you know, oppo homers. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I just really kind of struggled with, figuring out my stroke and, and, and just understanding who I was as a player my whole career. So now, you know, talking to you and just working with kids, I just really try to figure out who, who they are as a hitter and, and really try to make them proud of, of their identity as a hitter and not, not try to change so much and see where the chips fall. You know, I don't know how you feel about that, but I think, and we talked earlier and Brennan, you, you absolutely nailed it. I think there's a point, in every person's career 
if they play long enough, you know, there's a point in your career where you actually figure it out for yourself. And you say, you know, this is me. This is the hitter I am. And I think for you, it was kind of when you went to double A Erie and hit, hit 20 some homers, and then you got, went to triple A the next year, got called up to the big leagues and right away we're having some success. That that's the best I've seen you. Right. Uh, probably ever. Right. You're, you were, you were hitting everything. Yeah. Pitchers were pitching you very tough. It's because, you know, it's not like you had serious protection in AAA and in Toledo, you know, you're a big left-handed hitter, right-handed right. pitchers are pitching you t- the, their best game and you're still succeeding and crushing and just, and we all fall into it, but walk through that, you know, okay, get called up to the big leagues. Sure. Absolutely raking. Like one of the best few months in the big leagues that anybody's ever had when they got called up ever. Right. Like you just got it figured out, dialed in. Guys can't get you out to, yep. okay, now I start seeing a little bit of struggle. Yeah. And then going into that off season, that first off season, what's your mindset going into that? Sure. Well, after 2010, I was, I was really uh, just emotionally drained and physically drained. I mean, winter ball, as you know, prepared me for that season to where I felt spring training was a breeze once once I left the Dominican and, and had time to recoup. So fast forward to the end of that season after dominating all of baseball and then getting dominated by all of baseball, it was such a roller coaster, Dirks, that I just chilled and, and really tried to catch my breath. And um, that next year, you know, it was just like – everything was easier after going through such failure the next year was was my favorite year ever in 2011 playing baseball mm-hmm. um we made the playoffs you know it was just a, an incredible run we didn't make the we didn't win the world series but yet i just think as a as a hitter that was probably the first time that i had a real clue about what what i was doing but to be honest like when we hit august that year uh after after like you said the league was kind of catching on to my act i had like literally zero left in the tank physically after playing too much baseball and so i don't know that there is too much baseball because i know you love to play in the offseason all that but i look back and go man like i just didn't have another another uh tank or another gear to to access in august that year no matter what i did mentally it just literally the bat felt like (laughs) I couldn't swing it. And so I was getting just K'd left and right and starting to just really panic about what I built earlier in the season being such a great – the numbers, you know, the numbers game. When you're sitting at the All-Star break, I don't know, 320 with 15 and expecting to go to the All-Star game, not going to the All-Star game, a lot of rookie of the year buzz. It was a lot of success almost too quick where I was trying to hold on to that success and not – really enjoy it and not enjoy the game and not enjoy it. So now it's just like, man, if these kids aren't smiling when they're playing and Dombrowski used to come up to me all the time and was like, man, why don't you smile? And I look back and it's like, I put so much pressure on myself to be a certain player and a certain guy and a certain thing that now you're, you're out of the game and you have a chance to live life and you go, I'm not going to make that mistake. You don't make that mistake twice, you know? Yeah. And, it is tough when you're – because, like you, you told me earlier, baseball is a young man's game, but you have to have kind of that maturity 
right uh, of an older dude to really just have a, a longevity and understand that there's ebbs and flows and ups and downs and oh yeah and sometimes the way you start a season might dictate your whole season because it's tough you know and my my last season of the big leagues I got off to the worst start ever that I've right. ever been and I felt like that whole season I was just on that uphill climb oh, like yeah. I had an injury and I'm just trying to scratch out of this hole totally. and you walk up to the batter's box playing in, with one of the best lineups to ever be uh, put together on a field as far as offensively and I see I look up and I'm hitting like 220 with not great power numbers, and I'm, like, by far the worst in the lineup. Where now, what's funny is I go back and I look and I'm like, oh, if I played for the Tigers today, I'd be, like, the the two-hole every day, no big deal. <laughs> you know? And it's just part of playing on a great team. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the uphill climb, I mean, I swear to God, I think that that first month of the season, I, I – define my seasons almost every year where it was it wasn't like you could sink it or dominate the whole season by April but the feeling you had after a, a rough April in the big leagues in Detroit when with all the pressure I had that that happened to me too in 2012 the uphill climb feeling is is the worst feeling in baseball by far but you know that's the whole life the whole life goal is to never feel that sort of uphill climb even when things are going on or in your life that aren't you know pleasant you're like well I've been here before I mean grinding it out now in life is it's not easy you know my house obviously just you know burned down in the fire you have all these things in life that that aren't easy but when you when you've gone through the pain of struggling through a full season with expectations I think that's probably the most wrenching gut-wrenching heart-wrenching just painful thing to try to manage emotionally that i mean nothing feels tough now i don't know if that's how you feel but it, it almost feels like baseball for everything it gave me was just this preparation for life you know i didn't get a hundred million dollars i didn't get 300 million dollars what i got was an education in who i am as a man and to me that's just way more valuable because i was like not a man when i played you know so you're like fuck it i grew up here i am now i'm, I'm running businesses i'm doing this do I miss baseball? Did I make mistakes? Absolutely. We all we all could have done better, you know. Maybe not not maybe not a few Hall of Famers here and there, but the truth is, is I'm proud that I, I grew from this, even though I have so much pain still. So that's that's it. With and there's no better there's no better sport, in my opinion, in the world that translates to life like baseball, because it doesn't matter how hard you try, how much you prepare, what you do you're still going to have struggles. It's yeah. still going to be tough. And every level you go up, it gets harder and it gets harder and it drives me nuts. Like, so I wouldn't say it drives me nuts. What I would say is it's either a, I can take it as comical or B I can take it as like a sucker punch and, and do better with what I'm doing in baseball now. But when people tell me like, Hey, you just don't understand baseball because you were talented. Like to me, that's like super sucker punch to the gut. And I know that that's just them, their way of like justifying themselves, which yeah. is cool. Like, okay, you need that justification that it was easy for Andy because he was talented, but they didn't know how hard it was. <laughs> like yeah. the day in, day out, trying to get a hit and like waiting for your bag to be in front of your locker to go back to Toledo. Then this was when I was in the big leagues, not even like my journey through the crazy minor leagues and 
not getting drafted as a junior in college and like that whole spill. Right. Yeah. So, but what I do see a lot of people now is, is I just don't understand where they can discredit like that experience and say that because I've had that experience, I'm not as prepared to, you know, help kids or, or coach in baseball or do things like that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I take offense if I'm you there too, but I mean, it's a compliment. You're so good. Essentially they're saying that you, you can't teach. I, I think that that only applies to the, to the hall of famers. Like Miguel Cabrera can't teach. He's a savant, you know, but mm-hmm. he can show by example, but he can't verbalize it. There's only a few guys that can really produce at that level, MVP level, hall of fame level, and still speak on it intelligently, break down their mechanics because it's, it's like, once you start talking about it, the, the magic evaporates from your body. You start overthinking it. You start feeling too many parts and, I was obsessed with the the movement of of hitting the you know the dance the rhythm I I loved I loved it so much because like we've talked about the best baseball players have really boring and dull approaches to the game it is not supposed to be a a, a sexy mindset where you're you're like an artist changing all the time which is what I wanted to do you have the same routine Derek Jeter swung the same bat you have variables that you control because you can't control shit in the game. So you might as well be that guy that's consistently showing up with the same approach. Yeah, you make adjustments, but you make them off a template that's very much consistent with who you are as a hitter. You're not inventing the wheel. For me, it was super hard to find, I guess, I don't know if it's balanced, but just that sort of uh, commitment to the same the commitment to the same thing. It, it wasn't boring or dull that, that really was my problem. It was just, I was so fascinated with, you know, trying to invent new ways to make the game easier because it is so hard. And you're just like, well, if I could get my foot down or this or that. So the kids circling back to the kids and the dads and the coaches, they're just really, in my opinion, searching too hard to find ways to make it easy. And you just got to accept the game like life is freaking hard. So accept that and don't try to, you know, shortcut your stroke or learn from some internet nonsense, accept the the challenge, accept it and then compete like hell. You know, if I could do it again, I would never worry about my stroke. I would literally go opposite that I did, which was just obsessive compulsive with movement and this and that and be like literally a caveman. You know, and if you do that, I, I truly believe that that's why you have tools in the first place to, to, to not think. So if you're hitting the ball of the yard effortlessly in BP, why are you overthinking it in the game? You know, it's just a really weird mind space that you have to go to and trust, you know, trust your, yourself. So I think control is the issue. We all want control over our game to the point yep. where we can control the result. Totally. But there's just no way to control the result in baseball. It's impossible no. to control the actual result. All we can control is our, the way we're approaching it and what we're doing to prepare for it. But outside of that, I've seen tons of guys who are in a, a quote-unquote funk in the newspaper or quote-unquote funk in their own heads that just got off of a series where they hit the ball well. It just didn't go in the hole, man. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, dude, they, they were totally. crushing, but the fielders are good, and, and they were making plays on them. And the pitchers were pitching them tough. I, I look back at myself, and I fell into that trap like everybody else at times. And 
the good thing about what I always remembered was I always had something to fall back on. And that was what I knew I was already good at. Like I knew that for me to be a good baseball player, I really had to focus on making sure I was hitting low line drives and not, not doing the quote unquote, you know, getting the ball up in the air too much because that's a detriment for me because what would happen is if I'm doing that in the cage and MVP, when I go to the game and the ball speeds up, I'm fouling balls off and I'm whiffing. Totally. Because the game speeds up. The ball's faster. You know, you take batting practice and you're launching stuff in the game, you're missing it by a half inch underneath it, you know? Totally, totally. And I think that's where these guys don't understand that's never played at a higher level. Like, there's a reason you hear guys talk about the things they talk about, and it's more about feel yeah. than it is actual. We know that the swing works up. We know exactly exactly how the swing works but if there's a situation that calls for i need to think this to get the result that's what we would do facts. that's why we were successful right yeah big facts i mean the way you prepare shouldn't ever look sexy in my opinion if you're hitting too many balls out of the yard and you're not mike stanton or aaron judge or those guys i mean or me i mean kind of but yet i wasn't you know, I felt, fell into a little bit of a different category. I'm not six seven, So it's like, if I would have taken a less sexy approach, you know, to my preparation, and I think that's the problem with kids, because I, I was kind of that way too. And, and next thing you know, it's like, you don't need to hit home runs in BP. You don't need to drive every ball in BP. When I was at my best, I had really ugly BPs, but I was just so confident in my approach that you hit home runs in a game. But when you start scuffling a little bit and your BP is kind of gross, you're like, oh, shit, like, I don't stand a chance. Like, I can't really time up BP, you know, uh -huh. but you're rolling. Things are good. And you're just kind of you don't even think about BP. You don't think about the cage work. You have a feeling and a confidence. And it's just like life. I, I mean, I, I just there's so many comparisons now that I, I've learned from where had I had this mentality, you know, with Detroit, I, I would have you know made a lot more Tigers fans happy and. But, but you don't really get that chance. You know, Glenn Ezell was always my favorite kind of mentor in the minor leagues. Easy's the legend, right? And, yeah. and his, his window theory about the major leagues, it's the same in life where he put his hands together, open them up and shut them real quick and go, that's it, Haas. That's your shot. You know, that's the big leagues. Put his hands together, open them up, shut them. That's yep. it. That's your window. And how many times in life, whether it's, Andy Dirk's doing a real estate deal or me trying to, you know, learn real estate, doing these other deals, business deals, whatever it is, you, you hesitate or you question yourself or the window of opportunity in life. These opportunities, they don't come twice. And when they do, they come quick. And I, I knew how to kind of seize it then at a, at a young age. I didn't know how to sustain it. Seizing the opportunity was the most fun thing ever for me going to the big leagues and being precocious sitting around with Miguel and Maglio pretending I was a veteran. That was easy. That's why I had no problem kind of opening the door where most guys tiptoe around. I loved that. What I hated was looking down the barrel of a 10-year career going, shit, I got to grind this out for 10 more years to get the respect of the industry or the game or whatever you want to call it. I just felt that I'd worked so dang hard to get to there that I kind of I ran the tank dry or empty just to get to the big leagues. Whereas in these other sports, I'm not bitter, but I'm going, man, there is no minor leagues in the NFL. It's college or whatever, but 
you, you just get impatient, you, the money, all these different temptations where it's such a frustrating journey and a long marathon that fans, you know, never really understand. So you can't really say, Hey man, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I need to feel a certain way. How come you, you're booing me today? It's not the game. It's like you, you perform or get out, but yet it's so hard. And I think that's kind of part of our journey is, is explaining to fans and, and want, you know, uh, want to be future MLB players. This journey takes everything out of you. Every bit of you needs to go into this. And if it doesn't, you know, you're going to end up wishing you did more or whatever. Right. So yeah, it is a journey. And, and I'm just stoked to be on here talking to you because, you know, there's not too many guys in the world that have not played baseball, but also retired in the same sort of, uh, time frame and are doing some of the similar stuff we're doing and, and trying to, you know, reestablish ourselves as business people. It's, it's a process too, right? Yeah. And it, it, I look at it this way. I'm like, I'm just learning so much about life. Cause if I would have, if I would have played for another five, five, eight years, whatever, I probably wouldn't have been as motivated to go do anything else. Right. <laughs> and the reason is because I would have made enough money to where it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, you'd be hunting. And that's where, yeah, I'd be hunting and I would be doing other stuff and, you know, still try to be productive to a point. But because I have to get re-hungry, <laughs> it's, it's like you said, you put everything in your life and all of your energy and an effort into something. And then all of a sudden it's just like, boom, gone. Reinvent time. And now it's like, you got to be somebody completely different, find a new path, find a new way. Totally. Right. And I think what most people don't understand it either about the journey of baseball in general is you're dealing with multiple personality types, whether it's your coaches, managers, yep. uh, uh, you know, people in the front office, whatever it is, other players, like you have to learn to be content with yourself to the point you're not as afflicted when somebody tells you things that you don't like to hear or things that you don't think are relevant in your game. Oh you know, my because God. we all I have the worst run -ins with different coaches. I was the very worst at that the worst yeah you were very impressionable impressionable and hungry to to try anything kind of also really super uber sensitive to any coaching at all with my swing because i just felt so disrespected when you would have a coach that didn't know you that well you know come in especially a rover not toby's like the only guy ever to be able to navigate that but anyone that just i didn't have the utmost trust in like couldn't say anything and that's what now it's like the the thick skin that you get from baseball you can say anything to me and I'm just like all right cool it, it might not be relevant but I'm not going to judge you for it I'm not going to let it mess up my day but that's something that literally made me grow up as a man to be like you know what people are going to mess with you like they're going to get into your bubble and I just had to work I think so much energy and so much harder than somebody maybe like you or, or other other guys on the team uh, to maintain this bubble that it's it's like your whole day is just trying to be alone in the locker room in the clubhouse so that you don't get disrupted. That's, that's way too much energy. You know, you can't really be uh, a teammate that you, you could be if you were less concerned with how somebody could throw you off. And if they could throw you off, you're, you get really resentful because you're going, aren't we on the same team? Like, don't tell me shit, but yeah. they're trying to help. So you got to be like, you know what you, you see that that way. I see it this way. We're moving on, you know, in my ability to be on a team 
I, I really underestimated sort of what my routine kind of gave off without even knowing because I was just all I wanted to do was to help the team. That's it. But if you're on your own feeling like no one can kind of, you know, tell you anything without even you knowing you give off this vibe of either too cool, too good, you know, too whatever, where you're like, that's not me. But why are people reacting like that? Now I'm just like, you know what, if you don't like kind of the way I am in life or the way I prepare for anything, my, my work now at the, at my bed and breakfast, whatever, you know, it's like no skin off my back where before it was like, I hope I'm liked. And in baseball, it doesn't matter if you're liked, it doesn't matter. You just have to show up and be respected. And the way you're respected is by not being sensitive, by not caring if somebody, you know, even a coach says something to you, you don't say, Hey, you know, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. Like the, the shit that I said and did to, to people that were just trying to help who didn't maybe have the right way to manage my personality doesn't matter. Now it's like, just don't care so much about what other people think. Right. I mean, that's really it. It's just be yourself. And I, I just can remember you just kind of navigating the locker room, navigating the coaching staff, not agreeing with them. We would have talks about things where you'd say, you know what? So-and-so the hitting coach wants me to do this what do you think? And I'd be like, I don't know. I don't think that's right. And the same with you, we'd always be kind of, you know, sharing what other people wanted us to do in our career. And ultimately it's your career, but yet you have to listen, you have to respect and and not be affected by other people's opinions. Is that right? Yeah. Without a doubt, you know, it's really, really hard to actually without a, a inkling in your heart, not care what people right. think. It just doesn't happen. It's not true. What I always would try to remind myself of is what am I good at? How can I be good inside myself? And how can I show them that and make them satisfied with me as a player and not only, not always just doing what they said, because a lot of times, you know, you're getting a lot of information. It's like, everybody, especially when you, when you're going good, life's so great because nobody's messing with you. Yeah. Other guys on the team are like, yo, what's up, man? How you doing? When you're not going good, it's like nobody talked to them because yeah. they don't know. Yeah. You know, Same way with the, with the coaching staff, it's the opposite. Totally. When you're going good, every, hey, Bashi, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. You know? It's like that cheerful, that playful. When you're not going good, you just walk by and they don't say a word. Yeah. And it's like now in your head, you're starting to think they don't like me anymore. What am I doing wrong? I got to prove oh, to them this. And then the coach is like, hey, you know you're opening that front side then all of a sudden they just it opens that whole can of worms into basically ruining your confidence yeah no baseball player is confidence in yourself totally if you cannot have confidence in yourself every day to some extent you will fail miserably you have to find a way to have confidence regardless of what other people are saying or thinking or doing or the way they're treating you because and i learned this I'm not nearly as important as I think I am. And it was hard. Like I remember, uh, you know, struggling a bit. And next thing you know, like they will just bring somebody else up and take your spot and you're not that big a deal. Right. The more I realized that the easier it was for me to say, well, regardless of what happens right here, regardless of what I'm doing, if I don't do well enough, somebody's going to take my job take my spot and I have to be okay with that to go out and have enough confidence that the guy behind me isn't as good as me. Right. And that's what's, I don't like to look 
forward or behind, but just to understand that if I just was able to go out and do my play my game on a daily basis and nobody messed with me ever, I would be better off. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like just have my of confidence. Course. I'm a good player, even if I'm struggling. I'm and Leland enough, was the master. Leland was the master of letting you know where you stood without even having to really say anything. Like he he was the one that would just play mind games where you know, I look back and I was like, he taught me a lot about life, but he wasn't the manager that I probably needed just being who I was at 24. Mm-hmm. At 24, Jim Leland, like, I wanted to fight him. He terrified me all in once. We had incredible ups together where it was like he, he was almost like a father figure when I was going good. We had, like, deep conversations where I, you know, still look back and go, man, this guy really made an impression. And yet I couldn't stand to be even on the same freaking you know state or anything when it was going bad where this stuff you would say was just would just kind of get to my core where it would rattle me and I'm going we're on the same squad same with you know and this isn't this is one of the best managers is the best manager that I played for in the big leagues so I thought I had it bad in Detroit I'm not calling out anyone else because that's not who I am but I had it really good. I just wasn't man enough to hear it. I wasn't man enough to, you know, understand that this man was trying to help me and was in my corner. When you realize that that's the message isn't, you know, the, 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 the truth isn't the message. It's really what's behind it, how he delivers it. It's, it's, it's really like, just go to the core of what he's trying to say. How he's saying it might sound like an asshole, might sound like, you know, uh, a motivational tactic that doesn't resonate with you. It might piss you off. But now I realize, man, he wasn't wrong. He was right. He was this. He was that. I just couldn't I couldn't deal with playing and navigating this sort of, you know, tiptoeing around this legend and this confidence thing where it was like I was his best friend one minute and not the next. Now I go and people are like that or in life. That's their prerogative. It's his job to steer the ship at that time. And as a boss now, I have employees underneath me at this, you know, at my boutique hotel or whatever. I look at different managerial styles, even though the pressure to manage a small bed and breakfast is not the same as the Detroit Tigers. But still, I go, you know, if I'm upset at an employee, am I going to just ice him today? Or am I going to go up to him and be like, hey, man, you know, we need to step it up. And really the communication and in the media and in the big leagues, how people will communicate to you through different channels where you're like, dude, I'm right here. Can we please just face this up and be like, I'm upset with you. You're upset with me. Let's yell at each other. I I felt like everything in Detroit was really tough for me to kind of navigate because I'd hear things from the media or, or like, you know, there wasn't a lot of communication. Whereas in the minor leagues, your skipper in, in college, you got your manager, your coach. If you have beef, you're like the star player. You roll in there and you go, why aren't you doing this? Like you, you did a hit and run with me. I'm the man. Don't do that. Right. And have <laughs> yeah. this, like thing where you can just do that. Where in the Tigers, you're like, you become part of this bigger thing that you're alluding to batting ninth or whatever you're saying in this incredible lineup where now you look and you go, man, I think I could hit two. Right. Yeah. It's like, we didn't play in that, this current era, we played with Miguel and hall of famers and the whole lineup being what it was. I didn't have the guts to go in and say, you know what, if you got a problem with me in the way I'm going about how I prepare or whatever it is, 
I wish I had the balls to stand up to Leland when I was 23, 24. I didn't. Instead, I was like, how can I make this man happy? You start doing that in life, you're, you're, you're screwed. You start thinking about pleasing people, you're screwed. He actually respected me the most when I was myself. I was the guy that showed up not three hours early because I said, screw that. I'm, I'm an overthinker as it is. If I show up the way you want me to show up, like a rookie and stare into my locker, I'm going to strike out four times tonight. So what I'm going to yeah. do is that I'm going to, I'm going to piss every veteran off and I'm going to show up when they show up because we're a team and I'm going to show up and I'm going to get my work in. I'm not going to overthink it, but I couldn't maintain that for a full year because guess what? You start pissing veterans off. That's a whole nother can of worms where you're going, damn it. Like I can't do my routine because they don't like my routine. It's not, it's not of the baseball code. I got to be here five hours early. But yet, I, I know that's not me. So now in life, I'm just like, you know what? I don't know if I'll always want people to like me. Like you said, that's always going to be there in human beings. But now if they don't or if I'm not sure, I'm just I don't care. So I just sort of do me. And wow, you start smiling a lot more when you don't care. Dombrowski's going, why don't you smile? It's like, well, why don't you think? I'm worried about everybody. I'm worried about the manager. I'm worried about the, the veterans that are talking shit because I'm, I'm not four hours early. I'm worried about the press because, you know, and like the thing I need to be worried about is how to get a hit off CeCe, you know, yeah. how to get a hit off so-and-so. Instead, you know, I remember when it was going really bad for me in the clubhouse and just the whole vibe of the major leagues kind of overtaking my life where I wasn't focused right. The batter's box was at a time like the only time where the where the noise would stop and I was raking but I was just in sort of this complete lost zone where the only space I had was in those in those few minutes that I'd be in the box it was like my meditation when when hitters can find that where it's that kind of comfort where doesn't matter none of these distractions if you make it to the big leagues are going anywhere the better you get the more distractions there are but if you can find that sort of like meditative state in the box hitting becomes not a, a terribly like, you know, uh, scary thing where you're going shit, the odds are I'm not getting a hit and all this negative stuff. You, you love it because you're in the zone, nothing matters. And that's what I truly miss talking to you about it and going, man, every day I want to make a comeback knowing that my life has moved on and knowing that's not real. I miss that feeling of everything going silent. I can still right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm feeling like I'm a little shaky visualizing what that sight line looks like in Detroit where everything becomes quiet and all you hear is that and just the ball looks huge. I mean, how do, how do you describe that? It's literally like this space that exists in just time that never really stays and it's the most beautiful space ever. Is it not the zone and all of these things that we we try to recreate and hitters try to talk about mechanics? It's like, can you imagine if you could get in the zone more often? Forget about your swing, right? Yeah. When you're – it's the nirvana state. Yeah. It really is. Like, when you're in the box and it can be your place, like you said, to where you don't have a care in the world. Yeah. And you have a very simple plan Yeah. that you know you can execute. And you know, regardless of what that pitcher throws you or what's happening, like, you're seeing the – you see the ball well. You're in time. Everything in space works. When there's distraction and it's in inevitable, how do we get out of distraction into that nirvana state, right? And for you, when you were going good, your, the box was your place to get rid of the distraction. Yes, it was. The problem with that is the distraction is keeping you from preparing. 
the way exactly. you need to, to prepare, right? Exactly. And we both know to stay in Nirvana, to stay in a state, you have to have a very consistent approach to the way you prepare every single day. Totally. Especially at the big league level. Like whether it's everybody's different, whether it's, you know, you go and watch some film or whether it's you go and, and take some uh, hacks in the cage before BP or after or before the game or maybe no hacks, but you're visualizing and you put your music on like that routine is so imperative and people don't realize this when the routine breaks, when that routine gets shaken, then the, it's hard to stay in that state in the batter's box. Absolutely. That's when the noise and the fuzz starts coming in and you start thinking about where your hands are or getting your foot down or, you know, oh man, you look up the scoreboard and you're hitting two, 205 or 190 and you're getting booed. <laughs> like People don't realize the pressure that's involved in some of that, right? Oh my gosh. There's no worse feeling than, than a, you know, a Detroit Let's go back, And I think you hit on some really good, really important stuff because the big leagues is one of the first times for me like, I, I really genuinely felt like a rookie, I think, in my life. Just the way, you know, you interact with the totally. veterans. And they want it to be tough on you because it was tough on them. Yeah. You know, when, when we – I think we kind of came up in that last generation of the guys, the veterans at that time. The veterans were really hard on the rookies when they went through. So, they wanted to shake us down a little bit. Because that was just baseball culture at the time, right? Yeah. The problem was we played in an era – where we weren't just getting in the clubhouse. It was, it's the media. We're on TV. There's social media. There's people blasting. There's trolls blasting us 24-7. So I think the guys now have, have come to more of that realization of, hey, the clubhouse is a safe zone. Yeah. Because we're getting it everywhere else, in which we got it. When we played as rookies, not to make excuses, like we had it harder than everybody else, and everybody wants to play that sob story. But just kind of the era yeah, of, yeah when social media and the internet was really popular when we were rookies for the first time ever, when we were younger in the game. And I remember having to tell my mom, like, mom, don't read stuff online. Like the veterans at that time never had to have that conversation with their mom because it was the nineties and, or, you know, the early two thousands, the internet wasn't even available. Totally. So I had to literally tell my mom, like, don't read anything on the internet. Same. I did that too. Like, th those they, guys never had they to They don't listen. Their mom, they, of course, they read it. but <laughs> Yeah, and it's sad. You don't want your mom reading stuff that's not even true about you, you know. But, but you know, that's learning to navigate that time, I think, toughened us up more than probably any other generation as far as, like, moving the, into life now. Like you said, like, I know guys who played for 10 years that still are sensitive. Yeah. Like they, they just, they never had to get that thick skin mentality, but there's, I think in the big leagues now, guys just have to get completely immune to what's going on in the, that outside world. And then the clubhouse is their safe zone and guys don't play as long anymore. You know, the younger guys are kind of starting to dominate the game. So you get a clubhouse that's got like, oh yeah, dude's 32 or 33, like our age now, he's an old man. I'm surprised, we playing, when, I'm surprised now if the rookies don't start hazing veterans just the way it's changed so much. <laughs> I mean, we were like totally the last of this dinosaur era and I really resented it. I really did. Uh, I should have, should have just rolled with it, but I fought every bit of it because it felt, uh, it did felt like toxic, you know, it didn't feel um, right, you know? And so 
I don't know, man, that culture being out of the game, there's a way to rib teammates. There's a way to do it. And we had some guys 2010. Uh, I, there's no point in calling out. But if I saw him on the street today, like we'd have words still. And I've, I've let go of it. But just like you'll never forget kind of faces and people who, you know, are intentionally sabotaging you when you're having success and they're struggling and they've been in the game eight, 10 years. And you're, you know, you've been there a week and you're hitting home runs. You know, that sort of thing caught me way off guard. I figured I'd be embraced by everyone with my success when I got to the show and things were, were rolling for me. Instead, there was this other element, right, that you're alluding to, whether it's media or teammates or the negativity surrounds baseball, just surrounds America. The Internet is filled with trolls. There's, there's just that thing that is the bubble that you try to put in between you and this negative energy. But at the end of the day, like, I was really resentful that any teammate would contribute to that negative cloud, so to speak. I'm going, dude, are we not trying to win a ring together? So the next year, you could tell Dombrowski wasn't messing around. He, he shuffled the clubhouse as far as personalities a little bit go. And 2011 was a completely different season. We, were, we weren't good 2010. 2011, we kicked butt all year. And it, to me, it wasn't – we didn't add – Prince. We didn't add anybody. We subtracted and maybe made a couple, couple savvy moves, you know, but really I felt like our clubhouse that year was killer. We yeah. had no, we had no beefs. We were just flowing. Everyone liked each other. And, and Leland would always say chemistry is BS, right? It's about the, the players that, that make up the team, but I'll never agree with him on that, especially in baseball where you, you, you travel, you live, you breathe, you know, and I think the Cubs and Joe Madden and some of the other teams out there that really invest in, in that sort of camaraderie, especially now with the players being younger, more impressionable, more, you know, apt to, to have each other's backs. How can chemistry not be important? For me, it was everything. When I felt loved by my teammates, even during struggles, it made the game move. But there was this thing about my routine or about the sensitivity of what it took for me to prepare that was so independent of team. The other, I, I look back now and go, I, I, I can't blame certain veterans as a rookie that are going, this guy is just walking around like he owns the place. And it's like, you're damn right. I'm raking. I'm trying to help the team. Don't worry about what time I get here. Don't worry about what clothes I wear. Don't worry about, you know, what I'm doing after the game. You know, it doesn't matter because I'm showing up and I'm helping the team win. That, that whole sort of old school thing where rookies have to be a certain way. I'm just so glad for for guys like the new Andy and Brandon, whoever, with the Tigers, with whoever that come up, because if that exists, I think it's dying and it should. It really should, because let's be honest, we need each other on that field, especially late in the season when everyone's gassed and you're like, dude, just hang in there one more game, hang in there one more week. And it becomes something that's really special, especially at the end when you're just everyone is so exhausted that you just have love for everyone when they're making plays when they're, you know, going the extra mile to just scrap hits and all this stuff, that's the beauty of baseball. When the team is coming together in that gritty way, but it can't when you have these kind of jerk, older, kind of old school mentality where you're like, dude, why are you putting down rookies? Why are you not accepting it? So that was something huge and difficult for me and really kind of tough to even talk about that plagued kind of my whole career where personalities in the clubhouse would affect my play. Where when you, you put that into context now, it, it makes no sense. You go, how could that happen? How could you let somebody affect you? It's your career. The stats on my card now 
don't say somebody was hazing me during this month. Leave it alone. It's just your yeah. life. You you yeah. gotta own it, and that's about being a man. It's like you get trolled. It might not be on the internet now because nobody is really uh, caring too much about the bed and breakfast about talking trash about it. But there are haters. There are this negative thing. So yeah, absolutely. Looking back now, I go, man, I wish I cared less. But that's a really slippery slope because it looks like you don't care too much. You're also a jerk. So I think yeah. you, you know. <laughs> have yeah. this really nice balance that I think people are drawn to even myself now and, and what you're doing now and seeing what you're doing on social media. Social media has been super hard for me to understand after baseball and figure out how to manage that and, and whatever. But seeing your, your kind of new person, it's not new, it's who you are, but your personality through these new endeavors you're doing in real estate and just seeing what you're up to, your personality comes across in it. I, I felt like I couldn't have a personality because my personality is sort of artsy and not in this box of baseball, Berkeley, liberal, you know, all these things that I felt like I can't be myself in this crew. So I, F everybody, I'm going to do me. And once you start doing that, they, people start going, screw you. I, if you don't yeah. get hits today, it's your fault because you're, you're a dick. And it's like, no, I'm not. But that whole balance of personalities, you're hitting it right on the head where how can it not apply to life? How can it not be kind of ingrained in you now to be more yourself and care less, but also care more about other people and what, what their impression of you is? It's a really fine balance, isn't it? it? Without a doubt, the hardest thing for me on a daily basis is knowing when to you know, sell out with Andy and knowing when to back off of Andy if that makes any sense at all, like, cause there's times in, in real estate, cause we deal with all, all different personalities, different types of people. And I have to understand what my job is same way on a baseball field. Like I understand what I really always go back to is what's my job. Like if I'm going to sell uh, somebody a house, I want to find them the best house, the best deal possible. And I know how to do that, but I also have to learn to deal with a personality. You know, some people are more like, Hey, take the reins, Andy, and you got this. And then some people think they know more than I do about real estate. Same way in baseball. Like right. sometimes, you know, you play for that in that organization where they're like, here's the reins. You're good. Go do what you do. And your name's going to be in the lineup every day. And then you hit a point where it's not. And how do I adjust to that? Like that's an adjustment in itself, you know? And when, sure. people, when people just give you the reins and let you go play, it's so oh, much that, fun. That it's exciting. Amazing. And you know, hey, regardless, okay, I might have went over four yesterday and there's a lefty on the bump but i'm hitting three hole and playing center or whatever right yeah like that confidence that it, it, it helps you with that confidence and that's kind of the same way i try to approach life is knowing that i'm going to be playing center field hitting three hole every day oh dirty you're you're on to something here you're on to something you want to know why is because when you're younger could you do that in life i don't think i could i'm doing it now where like you said you're hitting third, you're playing center every day in life. But I can remember specifically, if Leland wanted to mess with me, it took so little for him to throw me off. It's not his fault. It was my own immaturity. Maybe, maybe in hindsight, if I would have, you know, communicated a little better with him, he would have mm -hmm. communicated a little better with me on, on who I was. If I said, hey, when you mess with me in the lineup and you put me in different spots, I freak out. Why? Because... 
I love knowing something. You could make me a seven hole hitter every day, but if, if that's where I was, I fucking loved it. Excuse me. But I loved it because it was a constant and it was this sort of thing when he played games with me or just sort of, you know, you lose that like everyday player mentality in the eyes of the coach where you're like kind of fighting for your, your respect again. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't stand that. I hated it. I was like, you know, it felt betrayal. It was like, are you kidding me? You, you gotta be kidding me. And that's life where you're like, no skin off my nose. You want to disrespect me in a real estate deal and act like, you know, everything and all this stuff. It's like, are you going to be emotional about it? No emotions I found in life. They're beautiful, right? You, you, you fall in love. You get sad when people die. They're beautiful. But in baseball and in, in business, I, I don't know about you, but the more I kind of check those, the better off I am. And I can address my emotions later and be like in that moment privately, but to share it and be sort of this open wound all the time, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, especially in the game where you're like, you have the right intentions. You want it too bad. I wanted it way too bad. When you want yeah. something too bad, your brain starts working on overdrive to get it where it doesn't need to. You just need to be yourself. I wanted to make it so hard that I, not for me to be successful in my mind, I probably had to hit third. I probably had to play right every day. You mm -hmm. know, I needed that. I needed to be babied because every coach told me how great I was until that point. So I'm like, I'm the best. Put me out there. What are you doing? Like, how could you not bat me third? You know, and so when, when you start to realize, like, people can poke holes at that sort of, uh, I don't know, entitlement or young, dumb mentality where you think you have to have all this stuff for you to be successful. You don't. You don't need to hit third to get home runs. You don't need to be in the lineup every day. Because trust me, by the end, when I was just hanging on by a thread, pinch hitting in the NL, it was the opposite. It was like baseball hell. You get one at bat against the closer. If we're, you know, if the situation comes, mm -hmm. you're sit cold all day. I was miserable, dude. They, if I would have been honest with the Reds, I would have said, you know what, guys, <laughs> if you're, if you plan on making me a pinch hitter this year, you guys should go find someone else that does it better. Cause I'm not going to be that guy for you. I'm trying to reinvent my career. This isn't it. Like, you know, I want to help you out, but mentality wise, there was no shot for me to excel in that limited role once I lost that love of, in my mind of the manager or the game or whatever you want to call it, it was so devastating that, you know, my career reflected that when I felt like I was supported by the tigers, I raked when I felt mm -hmm. like I was getting kind of either pushed aside or, or there was other people in, I got self-conscious. I, I tried too too hard, you know? And so now in life, it's like 70% dog, don't go freaking 110 and, try to hit a ball 500 feet. It's, it's no different in, in real estate and all these cliches. You're like, man, I'm going to hit doubles in life now. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, forget homers, bro. I'm going to try to go and sell a house like that is, you know, in, in a, in a, a market that I understand and isn't some crazy complicated million dollar deal or anything like that. It's just consistency. And I think baseball is, it, it gets, really unglamorous and really unsexy fast when you're in it to where home runs and quick fixes, they become sort of this dream that doesn't really, it's a mirage, isn't it? It's just a complete mirage where you're like, as long as I stay in my approach, all these things come. And yet, why am I tempted to get out of that? That's life. Isn't that the, isn't that the, the life sort of uh, lesson overreaching all of this, right? When we're as human beings, 
and there's two there's different types of humans though right so me and you would be classified as the ones that and my wife will even tell me this it's never enough never. Like, i always want more i always want more i always want to do more i always want to be better but i understand now that to be good consistently and i did this in baseball i understood in baseball like i knew to be consistent it wasn't a home run every day it was a steady approach to the game every day the same way in life like things compound over time like warren buffett didn't become one of the richest people on the planet in a two-year span or a 10-year span or a 20-year span he came one of the richest guys on the planet over 60 some years of investing right patience like, patience and understanding the process and i i can't stress this enough to any kid any coach if, if you're a coach right now and you're listening try to make your kids really enjoy and really uh feel fulfilled in the process of getting better at baseball and that that comes to some of the stuff we talked about like if you're going to take your three-hole hitter and you're trying to make a stance on him and you're, you're on a high school team, and for whatever reason, you know, he's not producing, or maybe he made you mad. Like, as a coach, you got to be the one that sucks your pride up because he's still learning, right? But have a sit down with him. Say, hey, I'm going to hit you six hole because this is the reason why. Have a reason for what you're doing. Don't just shock people. Communication, you know? right? How, yeah. how lacking is communication from managers to players unless you are a Justin Verlander or Miguel? There is none. How yeah. crazy is that? Your whole life, you've been sort of the three-hole guy. You're you're not only that, you're also like in the meetings with coaches that are like, hey, what do you think? You're a captain, essentially. Yeah. You know, and so you've been a captain. You've been that guy. And now you're on a team full of captains. You're not getting communicated to, and you're panicking. At least I was going, man, I really would like to talk to Skipper about why he's sort of taking me out of the game and putting Don Kelly in where – I'm the reason we won the game. It's driving me insane. Like you have a big game, you hit a double in the seventh or something. And you, you know, that's why you play right. To knock yeah. a run in, in the game. And you're like, I won that game. I don't care what, it's not selfish. You're just like, I got the hit that won the game. I yeah. mean, that's, that's just how we think we're, there's so much failure that it feels even now thinking about it. Like there's no better feeling to, to, to get the game winning hit. Yeah. I mean, so for me, when when he would sub me out for, you know, Don, I love Kelly to death, but for uh, an outfield specialist or a defensive specialist, it was understandable. That was his role on the team. He was my locker mate. He was my brother to this day. I, I mean, respect, right? Yeah. But it drove me to the point of insanity because yeah. <laughs> I was I was literally pissed off after every game, no matter what. Why? Because even if I played well, I was looking over my shoulder for the defensive whiz. And then, oh, by the way, this, the, the sort of, you know, su uh, self-consciousness that we're talking about and the confidence that needs to exist, it, it evaporates and you have to kind of recreate it again in those, in those tantrums. Like I was so emotional. Every time you go down that road, you start beating yourself up. You're going, I, I can't believe I'm out of the game. Why are they taking me out of the game every time? Like at some point you should accept like, Hey man, he's going to sub you out. Like you just got to learn to deal with it. But I couldn't deal with it. I, I wish I had the guts to go in and say, and I did the next year, but I still didn't own it enough to go. 
you're not taking me out this year, Skip. If I would have walked up to Leland and had the guts to say, you know what? You want to do that shit, you know, and sorry to curse, but that's baseball talk, right? Is like, don't effing take me out of this game. You got to fight for that. Like, I didn't do any of that. I, I mean, I was incredibly tough. You got to be tough to get there. So are you. But, man, I didn't have the guts to speak up and risk it all with this, like, manager that I revered to say, F this. I'm, I won the game. I'm your starting guy. I play. You're batting me three. I mean, to be batted three, playing right every day, hitting, you know, either in front or behind Miguel, protecting the best player in the game, and to be taken out in the seventh every game, you're, you're just, like, baffled. And people are going, be grateful, man. You're in the big leagues. And I can't stop texting former coaches and agents the thing that's bothering me the most, which you're getting at, which is not being satisfied. I ain't no defensive sub. I made a diving catch in the fourth. Why can't I make it now? You're going, yeah. how dare you? So all this crap going back, it's like, dude, nobody remembers that you got subbed in that game. They remember the double you hit. Why are you tripping on that? Why are you so freaking emotional? You know, you're like, dude, uh, uh, I'm sorry that I'm that way. But over the years, I'm 33 now, I've had to learn to check my emotions. In baseball, I had no shot at that as a young player. Where I do think it's a shame that the game is – pushing guys out so young now as a trend prospects are the most valuable thing. And we get it. Uh, Harper and, and, and trout came in and blew the game up with how good they played at 19 and 20. But I, I believe in a shift back where, you know, it's not going to be that you have to retire at 30 because you, you don't have a job anymore. I think there's going to be this balance that we find where, yeah, guys don't play to 42 because steroids are out, but a 35 year old, by the way, Steve Pierce, I'm not sure how old he is. Dude won the freaking World Series MVP, shout out Lakeland. You know, it's like yeah. without some sort of genius Dombrowski that he is, you know, that guy's maybe home or not playing or, you know, he could easily be where we are right now because of a couple bad breaks that didn't go the right way and we could easily be there. So it's that sort of thing that you go, man, I hope for the game's sake, for the player's sake, there isn't this nonsense about being old at 30. It's a joke. It's an yeah. absolute joke. The pressure that I put on myself breaking in at 25, 24 was already feeling late because I was already like kind of, oh, man, like there's kids coming up now at 19. You're like, holy crap, like yeah. I better get going. And you're like, I didn't have a choice. The Tigers hit me up at every level, single A one year, double A the next year. Oh, by the way, rookie before. I mean, you're going at the pace that they allow you to go. And you're just freaking out because your your clock is ticking. You know you're old. They tell you you're old. But, oh, by the way, you better rake for five years because that's, you know, free agency is coming. So just nonsense in your head that going back, you're like, I know now at 33, I'm still physically capable to play at a major league level. I'm talking physically. I'm talking my bones, my my ligaments. You know what I mean? I'm physically still, you know, an athlete. However in the eyes of baseball, I'm a grandpa that translates to, to life where you're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm regrowing my whole brand as a person. I'm a baby. I'm not a grandpa. What is that about? You know, yeah. you're restarting. You're like 33 is young. And yet there's this ageism crap where you're like, wait a minute. Like how, how come I feel like my life is I've lived six lives already. <laughs> you know, you're like, what yeah. the hell? I know. Well, baseball <laughs> will age you a little bit quicker. <laughs> like sometimes I even look at myself and I'm, I'm about to turn 33 
in my real estate business. And I just won like rookie of the year, North uh, Oakland County board of realtors or whatever. And I'm like, congrats, but I'm like rookie. I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm 60 years old in the business already. And that's, it's just funny to me. Like, and then I think about, wait, I'm 33. Like the top realtors in my area are like, some of them are 60 years old, 70 years old. Yeah. Let's talk about real estate for a second, because the, what intrigued me the most outside of the competitiveness outside of the obvious stuff was that it seemed like the opposite in baseball where like you said the sweet spot in age isn't 30 unless you've been you know born on third base where your your mom or dad was a killer realtor you know it takes time and so for me looking at a new career I was like you know what I'd like to do something now that sets my future and my foundation of life up where when I'm 70 I'm able to do this job because that's the opposite of baseball, right? So yep. I'm like, man, I hope I peak in real estate when I'm 70. Because then that means I've lived a really great life. And I'll have, you know, I just believe that the, 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 the generations in front of us that keep working and keep feeling confident in what they're doing, they live longer lives, they live happier lives. So what kind of great other jobs are out there? there there's some, but there's not as many options, I think, post-baseball, like real estate, that can make you feel like you're setting up your future there's only one thing about real estate that I know is as generally speaking for the vast amount of people on the planet, as they get older, they have more money until they hit about 65. So, so you think about what's your demographic that you're going to work with. You know, I'm 32 right now. So most people that I work with are anywhere from 25 to 45, 50 years old, but they still haven't all hit their peak income. And the people that really kill it, you know, they're 50, 60 years old and all their people that they've worked with for all these years are now selling their biggest house ever. Ah, yeah. So they bought their biggest house ever and they sold their biggest house ever. So for, unless, like you said, if you start on third base, it's completely different, but a lot of realtors do. Most realtors do because they see it as an easy meal ticket. They just uh, kind of latch on to their, to uh, a family member or whatever, and nothing against them. I would do the same thing and not saying any of those people don't work hard. But what I'm saying is if you're going to start it for yourself, you got to understand it's a process. It's just like starting all the way over from T-ball. You know, it's not like you don't just get to hop in and say, okay, I'm in the big leagues right now. Now there's things you can do to prepare yourself and go out and get whatever business you want. It still takes time. Oh, Oh, this is one thing. So you hit on a lot of good points, but I'll just leave everybody with this. And I think it's, it's, probably the hardest thing to do just because we're humans and we're full of emotion, but it's the most crucial thing to be the most productive human you can be on the planet. And that is really understand and think about what you can actually control in your life and what you can't and invest full heartedly in things you can control, knowing that it will get the outcome to the things you can't control. It will make them more productive, but they're not going to be perfect. So even if you, you did everything right, Brennan Bosch does everything right on the planet Earth when it came to his baseball career up to that to a point, he's still getting pulled in the seventh, regardless of diving catches, robbing home runs, catching balls behind your back, throwing guys out at home. You couldn't control getting pulled in the seventh. The only thing you could tr- control was just go out and play defense every day. Yeah. And that's what's right. really – it's really, really tough to do. But it's imperative if you want to succeed in life. 
I realized I like to control everything and you can't. So that's, <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's growing up, you know, that's lesson number one and, and freaking number one through 10 for me is don't try to control everything. When I stopped doing that, man, that, and we're talking like weeks ago, bro, this is like, you're on the front lines of this retirement. You're on the front lines, like house burns down, like front lines of just pain of transition of life. Right. So you're like, what can I control? Cause you wake up one day, your house is gone, gone. You yeah. know? So when that happens to you and, and just the experience baseball kind of blowing up in that same sort of there one minute gone the next, it's really kind of a cleanse. And I hate to, you know, make light of a terrible tragedy that was the Woolsey fire, but that fire for me personally was, I mean, no one would ever say they would, they would want that. Of course, that's ridiculous. However, when you have to deal with something like that, that you're forced to deal with, wow, what an opportunity for me to grow as a man where I don't think I'm on this podcast before the fire. Why? Because I don't want to talk about baseball with you. You know, I don't want to go down mm -hmm. this route of these are very painful memories that now as a mature dude, I can I can reflect on and go, wow, I want to be a better person from this. Two years ago, I'm just mad. I'm so mad. I'm so sad. I'm full of emotions. Once again, emotions, my my whole thing for whoever's listening and just people in general, it's like I'm a incredibly emotional dude. I, I feel everything. You know, I, I, I wake up and kind of feel empathetic to the world, the problems. But when you let your emotions run wild in the game, when you let them run wild and, and you see it in today's sort of world cl climate and how people treat each other it's just like have your personal moments have your emotions have your sort of i don't know your rational human thoughts that we all do and then go get your job done know what your job is i don't think there's ever a player i ever played with like you that had a better idea of who they were i mean if you had a chance to keep playing you know i would have loved to keep playing with you and learn from your mental approach because I didn't have one. I was a freak talent, but I didn't have approach. I didn't. I was just an, kind of a funny guy that was sort of floating around with how he prepared, not really understanding myself. So now as a man, you know, I just I appreciate coming on here talking about it because you do get another chance to, to, to kind of redefine who you are after baseball. And to me, that's the biggest gift baseball gave me. And, and so that's that's kind of my deal. Right. So. I think, and to be honest, it's more valuable than any money you could have ever made. I think you're right, because like, like you said, what, what you've learned, we, what you've just talked about, and what you've learned is the most invaluable thing that anything could ever give you. And for you, it was baseball. You're absolutely like, right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put you on a path, and we're going to be having a conversation in 10 years. And we're going to look back at this and be like, do you remember that <laughs> when we were first like getting back after it I know. And, and in the real world and everything that we've done now? Like it's going to be a little uh, blip of, but it's going to define us as, of, as, as to who we are as people. And it's making, it's made us way better. Exactly. And I was, I was terrified of having to redefine myself after the game that I, I, I just was so sure that I had to kill it in baseball so that I could kick my feet up and not have to go through anything as painful again. And, and like you said, it's a gift to have to, redefine because you start to discover parts of yourself and life that you never really even knew existed these interests for me music for you know art you don't get to you know experience art or understand you know these passions when you're grinding it out in toledo 
you don't. You yeah, don't. no. So, so who I am now, I like this person better. And I just kind of wish, you know, for everyone, kids and whoever, to just like you've talked about, like we keep saying, it's if you if you know who you are, you know, and you prepare and you don't let other people get into your bubble, those three things are so much more valuable than any swing thoughts, which is why me and Dirksy text each other nonsense uh, clips to the internet, <laughs> yeah. the internet clips of these crazy hitting coaches and stuff. And it's like, guys, just please, for just the universe sake, stop doing that to kids. Like, please just let kids play. I fell into those traps. I still made the big leagues, but F that if I, if I was more, you know, confident in just the approach, I wouldn't try gimmicks. Gimmicks are, are gimmicks because they're gimmicks. They're not, you know, and so it's sad for me to see all that stuff. So just, that's that's my two cents in coaching and just you know learn yourself listen to listen to what dirk says because what you're preaching and what i see your videos online and the way you communicate to kids it's inspiring me it's inspiring the kids you reach and and uh it's freaking awesome brother so keep it up well i appreciate that man you know i'm really just trying to make people understand what what is really going to benefit them in baseball for sure and then in life also where can people find you at brennan where can they find me? Yeah, social media. You got Instagram. Yeah, Instagram? Um, yeah. Instagram is uh, at Bosch Brennan, and um, that's that's where I'm He's at. He's not on and... Facebook yet. I'm trying to get him on Facebook for all you people that are into Facebook. I will. But... I, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna create a Facebook today, just because you said that. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have that up and running. So I'll, he's I'll, got a bed and breakfast out in Cali. So if you're ever out, is it in? Where's it at? In Venice or Malibu? It's or... it's in Venice. It's right. Venice? Yeah, you, you're yeah. getting a little bed and breakfast plug for the boy. I love it. Yeah. yeah so, so if you're if you're ever that. if you're thinking about traveling out to Cali, you need a sweet spot to lay your head down. I might have to check it out. Check oh, Dirksy, uh, let me take let me take you up on that. Have the family come out. It's the Venice Beach House. They'll love it, and uh, you know we're, we're we're happy to host. So. Awesome. Well, this is uh, the Get Your Game Right. A little down and dirty with old Andy and Brennan here. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Bosh, absolute pleasure, man. Uh, Same to you, for, brother. Thanks for, for being on the show. I think people are going to get a lot out of this one, probably more than any other one, because it was real. You know, and, and it's hard to be real. It's hard to keep it real. But that's what I try to do. And I'm glad that uh, you're sharing in the love. Uh, you can find us at Andy Dirk's baseball on Instagram. Hit me up on Facebook. I got like five pages. I don't know. My marketing team's wild. Uh, <laughs> the APE Sam over here, my assistant just laughed. She's like, yeah, it is a little crazy but <laughs> to everybody out there. Have an amazing day. Have an amazing week. Uh, keep following us. Keep liking us. Keep watching us. Uh, we'll bring you more stuff. Brennan, you the man. Yeah, Dirk, you, Let's do it again, brother. All right. Later. All right. Later.